This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 63. Today, we welcome Heather Graham back to the podcast to talk about the mental health and well-being trends she's noticed since this COVID-19 pandemic and social unrest began. Don't go away. This conversation is extremely enlightening. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hi, everybody. It's Tracy. And Michelle. Back again with another phenomenal interview. They're all phenomenal. I know. <laughs> That's all we produce, Tracy, is phenomenal podcasts, phen- phenomenal interviews. And we have just great connections, don't we, with phenomenal people. That makes it easy. It does. It mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we just wrapped up an interview with uh, Heather Graham, who's been on our podcast before, and uh, so great to have her back and really, you know, just telling us how it is right now with mental health in the world. Yeah, well, you know, what I really loved about this interview and what I appreciate about Heather is her depth and breadth of knowledge and her understanding of the complexity of everything that's occurring right now, right? And she just opened up my thinking about the whole of what's happening. It's not just about COVID, right? Like there's so much going on and so many layers to this. Yeah, and she you're exactly right. She does it so well. You're kind of like just in awe listening to her because it's so ingrained in her knowledge and her experience. And she gives you just such insights of what is happening today and great tips and what we can do about it. Yeah. And I think, you know, for our listeners, I think it's really an opportunity to, she kind of helps you step into other people's shoes and what what their experience is like right now, right? And how that varies from person to person. And I think it really opened up my perspective, um, you know, around how other people's experiences are different than mine and why that is, you know? And so yeah. uh, it's a really great interview. Yeah, so we're anxious for you to hear it. But before we do that, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Heather Graham. Heather Graham holds a Master of Social Work degree from the University of Georgia and is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified employee assistant professional. She most recently worked at Aspire as the Director of Client Development. 
Heather is so, so experienced. She has developed multiple trainings on various topics, including mental health in the workplace, developing your organizational culture through EAP, a resource for leaders coping with burnout and stress, happiness in the workplace, managing stress, communication in the workplace, dealing with difficult conversations, mental health awareness, employee advocate support programs, and many, many others. And without further ado, here's our interview with Heather Graham. Well, Heather, we are so grateful that you are here on our podcast for a second time. Thank you. It's good oh, to be here. Yes. It's so great to, to be with you. We get to see you. Other people won't see you, but we get to see you. <laughs> it's just been, it's just been too long, way too long. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit, you know, we like to do a little banter in the beginning. So tell us a little bit, what have you and your family been doing in order to kind of keep your sanity, maintain your, your mental stability <laughs> during this pandemic and, you know, like, do you have any great fun coping strategies you want to share? Um, well, my family, so we have um, had our rocky road. <laughs> We've gotten to know each other very well, um, spent a lot of time together. Um, but I think it's, for us, it was kind of resetting expectations. Um, we, you know, so there's been, you know, I think with everybody, you know, there's been like moments where you're tired of each other. And just luckily where we live, the weather's great. So you can get outside. Um, but we started doing things that we don't normally do because we're working at home. Uh, they gave me a bike for Mother's Day. So we go bike riding. And it was just kind of that fun family thing. And it's kind of accepting, well, we're here and this is, is what it is. So what are we going to do with that? You know, I think the faster you can accept the reality the easier it gets. So um, that's what we've done. And we do have our people that are safe. You know what I mean? Like you have your like small little social group that you're being safe with so that we have that, that little bit of an outlet. Um, so that helps a lot. So we aren't out and about, you know, we're not obviously going to parties or anything, but we have our small what do you call it like a social hub or something mm -hmm. yeah. so that's what we have so that's helped but generally we all have um humor as one of our strengths so that helps lots of humor yes yes <laughs> I, I bet that helps tremendously <laughs> definitely well you know um your first and of course awesome interview with us uh, was in november Mm -hmm. And we really focused on system and individual aspects of clinician stress and burnout. And, and that episode actually aired in February. I think it was episode 33. And uh, we had no clue when we had that conversation <laughs> what was coming right in front of us. It was like the mm -hmm. wave was behind us and we didn't notice it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so just share with us a little bit and our listeners about the impact of COVID-19 kind of on your work and, um, you know, just kind of overall trends that you're seeing um, as an expert in mental health and the workplace. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of anxiety and fear. Um, 
in March and April, there was a big drop off because of, for us, of inquiries and calls and requests for help um, because, you know, there were the, the stay in place orders. And then it started picking up. But this is a tough season, not only because of COVID uh, or tough year, but there's been social unrest. I don't know if you remember, but we actually started this year with a fire in Australia. Yeah. You know, it's just, and it's yeah. been just an unusual, unexpected year. And it's also an election year. And so there's just, there'd already be a lot of debating and, you know, divisiveness over any time there's an election year. But now we've got COVID and it's this unknown thing. And then there's the social unrest. And so it's, and what seems to have happened from a behavioral health perspective is people, and I think a medical perspective as well, is people stopped getting care. They were afraid. And so then there, but there, obviously their needs were still there. And so they didn't go get their prescriptions filled and they didn't do the healthcare um, maintenance that they needed to do. So now what we're seeing is acuity and a high level of acuity and whatever you had coming into COVID is now amplified because of the, the stress and the increased um, difficulties. It just, it's, it's, you know, it's like a, a stressful event adding on to your already maxed out coping capacity. And then in addition, our standard ways of coping and our mechanisms for dealing with stress are social connection, escape distractions through sporting events, going to the movies, going out, having a drink. I'm not promoting that, but I'm saying it is what it is. <laughs> um, and we're social and we don't have those distractions anymore. So we're having to find new ways to cope and dealing with that, that ongoing fear and, and anxiety of the unknown um, and, and safety. You know, there's just a general, um, inability to feel safe right now. And from a hierarchy of needs, you know, safety is number one. And then you've got financial stress. So there's people that don't know if they have a home. They're financially stressed. There's people with the social unrest that are feeling very unsafe. There's, you know, protest and burning down buildings, you know, things like that, that are just kind of all compiling on as well as a pandemic. So it's really, um, overwhelming a lot of people it's it's overwhelming people that didn't have difficulty coping much less if you have a need that you were struggling with before yeah that is so true um you know i know just in my when i think about my social circle circle heather the first time we saw friends after really weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and weeks you know, it brought tears to people's eyes. Yeah. Like we're just not used to that. Right. So like exactly. to your point, when people were coping normally, okay. It's just that they've never experienced anything like this. And Tracy and I've been um, kind of bringing to the forefront quite a bit about, um, you know, just the whole systemic racism with George Floyd and, the impact that's having across the world. And so your point is very well taken. It's not just one thing we're dealing here when it comes to, you know, mental health, there's a lot of factors. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no clear path either. That's, there's no one path. 
and so if you're looking for that guidance or you know you might have your path but your spouse might have a totally different path you know or your best friend and you know so that's or your parent or your sister you know it's just it's there's a lot of different avenues that people are are taking a lot of different information out there and so that can really so we're not we're not pulling together we're dividing and that can be really really difficult to cope because that creates loneliness as well yeah yeah it sure does so um, there was an article that came out in the new england journal of medicine actually back in may it came out on may 20th um, and uh, it was by uh, doctors victor zhao daryl kirsch and thomas uh, nazca and um, it it they're all leaders. Um, well, Dr. Zhao is from the National Academy of Medicine, and the other physicians are from two other prominent uh, medical associations. But they wrote an article on preventing a parallel pandemic, a national strategy to protect clinicians' well-being. And it just really struck me, Heather, before our call today, I was re-looking at that article, and they wrote it on May 20th. And... Um, they had cited that by May 1st, 60,000 Americans have died of COVID. And we know just last week, the number came out 5 million. So even just look between May and today, the impact. Wow. And they really predicted in this early article that um, this is, this is going to be a pandemic for clinicians too, who are already burned out before the pandemic started. And we just kind of wanted to get your perspective again, aligning to what you're seeing, but the whole notion of a parallel pandemic that we're facing now. Yeah, it was an interesting article. And it was interesting because they, they related it to SARS, but they also related it to 9-11. And they're two very different traumatic events, you know, but 9-11 ended in a sense. Unfortunately, it was very tragic. But at some point, it it was over and we were picking up the pieces, so to speak. Um, and we are in the midst of, SARS is probably a, a, a good comparison if you could have one, but COVID is still ongoing. The loss is still continuing. And there's loss that we haven't experienced yet because of COVID. So again, I'm not dismissing the level of trauma of either one. Both were very traumatic. They're just different traumas. And there's, um, and for different reasons. And so, um, but nationwide, everybody, worldwide, everybody's experiencing this trauma and it's ongoing. And it's this, you know, you have a, a caregiver who's in a role where they're trying to walk the line between their safety, their family's safety, and then doing what their heart is telling them, which is taking care of patients and knowing that they, they're needed. And caregivers, um, and clinicians, and I say caregivers because that's what clinicians are. They're caregivers. They're driven mostly you know, by this desire to help and, and very, tend to be very mission-driven. So that's a very stressful place to be, to have to choose between your safety, your family's safety, and then, and then in a pandemic where there's not a clear treatment model. So it's, you're, and I, I'm not a medical professional, but, you know, there's, there's a, I do know we're still learning about it. And we're still trying to figure out how it works. 
Um, and so what we're seeing um, is, if you don't mind, I can kind of talk a little bit about what we're seeing is that clinicians aren't slowing down. They're tired and they're going and they're not getting time. Uh, they feel like they don't have the time to eat or even use the restroom. Um, what we're hearing is that they're physically uncomfortable because they have the um, PPE. You know, it's hot. It's, it's uncomfortable. So now you have this physical discomfort along with this psychological discomfort. Um, we're seeing masks daily. You see it when you go to the grocery store, you know, in these normal safe places. You can't go to your safe places anymore. If you go to church, you can't go to church for most people. Um, and if you can, and there's, you know, a setting that you can do that, there's masks. So it's this constant reminder of this unseen presence. Um, and so clinicians are having a hard time doing the, one, there's no escape, right? So there's not like you can, like I said, go to a sporting event and just forget about it for a minute. You know, you, can, you can't forget. And then you can't use those typical coping mechanisms that in other traumas we can at least somewhat rely on you know, um, or we have other people, you can't, you might not even, you know, a lot of people in the healthcare field can't go see their family. Some people have even isolated from their own immediate family because they want to not put them at risk. So, so that's, so this self-care is they're having to be very creative. The problem is you can't be creative when you're under stress. You know, it's, you're responding, you're reacting, somebody needs you, you just go to that. You'll, you'll go to the bathroom later. You'll eat later. Um, and so uh, it's it's a, a it needs there needs to be something that happens because it's going to be burnout and we need our healthcare people and and they're going to have to um, they have to be a hundred percent so they can give a hundred percent. So I think it is going to be a pandemic and unfortunately we are seeing I mean a parallel pandemic and unfortunately we already are seeing the trauma and the overwhelm and the burnout that it's causing and we don't want people to leave the field but at some point they might they might not feel they have a choice but to do that and so and or worse you know if they're feeling um like they can't take it anymore and feel even suicidal so i do think it's it's i'm glad that article was written and having to do and and telling you know the medical field that we have to do this we have to take care of our people yeah, it was a really, I mean, I was happy to see it as well, to call attention to the significance of it. Mm -hmm. And thank you for just really painting a very vivid picture of what everybody is experiencing, that this isn't about one thing. And just the the um, the everlasting presence of it. I just, I mean, I really appreciate your description of how you can't escape, you can't go away, it doesn't matter what you do, where you go it's there there's some reminder there's something mm -hmm. telling you that there's something lurking right right behind exactly. you right always right it's always there even if you and you can't see it and you don't know when it's going to strike right right um and i and i just wonder too because of that i just have a question for you you know there's this whole um you know uh dynamic um of 
the mask wearers and the non-mask wearers and the tension between myself and my community, right? And this, this polarity, really, mm-hmm. you know, what's good for me, what's good for the common good, right? For the community as a whole. And you just wonder in some, I would just wonder in some regard if some of this, I'm not wearing a mask, is kind of like their only way to control something in their environment at this point in time is to say, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? Like it's kind yeah. of their rebellion to this ever-present trauma and, you know, um, lurking, right? Right. And I think there's a lot of things that play into it. I think one is inadvertently, and you'll see this on social media, inadvertently, if you align with one group or the other, you now become part of something. And so you're not alone. You're not isolated. So I think that the other thing is, I just think we have to accept the reality. There's a lot of conflict out there about COVID-19. And not everybody necessarily believes the mainstream. And I think media plays a role in it. I think some people, and I think a lot of people might have, and I don't want to kind of align with one side or another, you know, so I, um, I, I, I feel like everybody has to make their own personal choice. I also believe that people do care about each other. I don't think they're out to try to kill other people. You know, you know what I mean? Like, or, or they're trying to dismiss somebody's life. I think that they authentically don't believe that they're going to hurt somebody, whether they wear a mask or not. Um, but there's a lot of, even in the medical community, there's leaders coming out that are conflicting with what they say. There's a lot of, um, I know the Academy of Pediatrics came out and had this whole article on how children don't necessarily, and I'm going to misquote it, but there was an article early on that children were not as susceptible in some ways. And then they came back out and had another article that said, actually they are. So it's just, you know, but it's, that's a pandemic, right? That's, that's a virus that you don't know about is that there's always new information. You've got people that understand medical information and the physics of catching a virus and then you have people that just really are not science um they don't understand the science behind it you know um so you've just i think what we have to do i wish that we could kind of look at everybody as doing the best that they can and making the decision that they feel is the best decision and not intentionally trying to hurt but when you're afraid and you're stressed you start to interpret this as a moral choice and it's a moral conflict. And therefore you're, you're picking a side, you're picking your side of the fight. And it's um, ultimately just like with self care, it ultimately comes down to um, doing what you can to take care of yourself, whether it's your health, your self care, because people are going to do what they're going to do and they're going to not, feel the same way as everybody else and but us being divisive and angry is really not going to help us get through this and the difference again going back to 9-11 we all pulled together but we had a common enemy I mean you know in that in that moment we had a common thing that we were fighting we're fighting terrorism right now we're fighting each other and so it's um it's a very, so it's even, it adds to that isolation. So I think that's why people sometimes might get really, and I think sometimes for people wearing a mask, 
they have panic attacks. There's claustrophobia. Claustrophobia is real for a lot of people. And so they can't breathe and they panic. And then it's, why are you making me do this? And they feel like they're out of control. And that's a subset. And then there's other people that don't wear masks for their own reasons. But, um, but I think we are going to have to, um, at some point, we're going to have to pull together and get through it together, you know, until, and know that we can do this together. Yeah. And I, I agree. Right. And I, that's what I just, I just like the only person I'm in control of is me. So I'll make my own decisions, do what I need to do to keep myself safe and, you know, and hope that everybody else will as well and just let it go. Right. Like it's not for me to judge. It's just interesting. You know, there's so many things at play to your point, you know, yes. and yes. Uh, so many influencing factors on who's making decisions, why we're making decisions. And I was just thinking today, you know, we were talking like when this first started and everybody was in lockdown, it's like, we're in this together, right? And you kept hearing that we're in this together, we're in this together. And I kept thinking, doesn't seem like we're in it together. Yeah, it <laughs> right? yeah, it seems like, like it. we're kind of pulling apart right now, right? Like I was just noticing that and thinking about that earlier. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and I think too, Heather, you bring up such a good point. I just love how you said earlier too that you know there is no there is no path there's no there's no clear path and this is where I think um, what I've noticed is where blame comes in because someone thinks they're making a really good decision because you can't just stay still and not do anything and then if as more evidence comes in and we learn more because this is a very different virus than we've ever seen before mm -hmm. then it really does impact people's trust and you know and they can get you know, it, it just makes it really, really difficult. But if we could just step back and just acknowledge that, like no one has dealt with anything like this before and um, there is no clear path and we all have to do the best that we can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to have, it's hard to tap into your, I think most people, I mean, you know, my husband teases me about this because he's like, you just, you really believe that most people are good. And I do. I really believe that most people are good people. And he's a little more skeptical. He's a, he's a great guy. He's just a little more skeptical than I am. Um, but I have seen people pull through the tough things. But I also know that when you're on that, that in, in the hierarchy of needs, when you're in that basic need, all bets are off. You're all about what you can do to survive. And you're trying to get out of that. So it's like crabs in a bucket. You're going to bring everybody down so you can get in because you have to. It's a survival instinct at this point. And when your safety is threatened, whether it's because of COVID or social unrest and racial injustice or all of it, you know, I don't know how you could separate the two, but it's all of it. I mean, we've got the National Guard in certain communities right now, you know, so it's, it's not a safe time. So you're going to do what you can. And that's fear. And fear creates anger. Because fear is too vulnerable. You can't sit with fear. So what do you do? You empower yourself, you become angry, because that's more powerful. And then you are angry at who? You can't be angry at an invisible virus you know, and you're even, even with the racial injustice, we're talking about systemic um, racism. Who is that? You know, I mean, it's, it's such a huge problem. So it's just very scary and people are just, so it's hard to be compassionate. So I think when, if we can, as caregivers, you know, what we try to do is just not engage in that divisiveness, but just kind of 
be supportive and be, be um, compassionate that other people, you know, I just assume that they're not trying to get me sick. You know, that if they thought they had it, they wouldn't really think it would kill me, you know, even if they tried to breathe on me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, so, uh, but that's hard. I mean, you're, you're just, that emotion, you know, the emotions come above the basic needs. So you got to get that, that, and it's just, what we're seeing is the worst of stress. I don't know that we've had this level of stress in my lifetime. Um, you know, from what I've seen. Yeah, we would concur with that. Yeah, I, um, especially as a species, right? It's not, it's not just uh, isolated to one town or one country or like as a species, we're experiencing this. Right. The way we've never right. Exactly. Because even what's happening with systemic racism isn't just here. I mean, look what right. was ignited around the world, right? With right. The, so, yeah, yeah. Can you um, can you talk a little bit about the significant trauma that the healthcare workers are incurring right now due to the pandemic? You know, the PTSD, depression. So recently. I say recently, and, and PTSD has a long history of research, <laughs> and um, in the more recent decade, um, it's come out that, you know, PTSD develops from multiple exposures, typically multiple exposures to trauma, and so now you have clinicians who are getting overwhelmed. Um, you have the um, racial injustice and videos of people dying you know, and then you're seeing people and then there's that lack of social connection, right? In the hospitals when they aren't able to have their, people aren't able to have their family members there. So you might be as a caregiver, the only, the clinician, the only person with them. And you're seeing that over and over and over again, especially if you're an ICU clinician. Um, and so it stays with you. And then what do great clinicians do? We all tuck it away so we can help the next patient or the next client. And we might not have an outlet for that because it's not exactly like you can go home and tell your spouse all about it or your partner, you know, and every other clinician's going through the same thing with you. But, you know, it's, so what you see is a difficult, and I see this from clients across the board, but difficulty sleeping. They'll say, I don't know, just since COVID started, I can't sleep. Um, increased stress, increased anxiety, PTSD in itself, it's um, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a stress disorder, an anxiety issue. And so um, I think what we might be seeing right now is acute stress, but that develops into PTSD after that repeated exposure. And again, it's, you know, as I mentioned, it's seeing the videos of things happening, hearing um, the news, you know, uh, I, I often encourage people just to limit how much news they watch. I think news is great for information. I typically will look at headlines, you know, I'll look on, on an app, a news app and look at headlines so I can manage that. But it's that repeated, that can be traumatic as well. That's repeated exposure. Now we have children going back to school. So it's, you know, and, and cases and, so it's just kind of um, 
this ongoing and and sometimes clinicians might say to themselves you see this with first responder types um, but they might say well this is my job I should just deal with it and that's this is unusual they don't have to just deal with it um, then they might be afraid to do anything else they might be afraid of that they might lose their job it's a very uncertain time financially um, it might be that the the other thing is if your hospital or your facility is inundated there's it's like it's like the need never stops you know the phone keeps ringing the patients keep coming in and everybody's uh, critical so what do you do you know you just do the best you can and so you start putting yourself last which caregivers usually do anyway because we find fulfillment by taking care of other people so um, so all of that leads to um, sleep problems, depression, anxiety, um, and just you kind of, everybody kind of has a bucket and of what they can cope with. And at some point, you got to empty that bucket out a little bit because then it'll overflow and that's when you get completely overwhelmed and you kind of hit a wall and you can't do any more. Um, sometimes people's buckets get full and they get sick, not necessarily COVID, but they get where they can't, you know, they can't get out of bed and they're get, catch a cold or, you know, their immune system, it affects your immune system. And so until it forces them to stop. So, but I do think um, we've got to be aware, just like that article was mentioning the parallel pandemic, you've got to be aware that you're having, not everybody develops PTSD. So, but if you don't have self-care and you don't have connection and you aren't aware of your own resilience, then it's a higher likelihood that you could develop that. And we've got to be aware of that because you're going to have a lot of clinicians treating patients that aren't able to do it. They're, they're not taking care of themselves. They can't take care of themselves, you know? So, um, or they're going to blame the field and leave the field when when they need help and that kind of support. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry to be. I feel like I'm really a downer. On this no. One. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's just it's you know we're just listening so intently, right, to to the message that you're bringing because it's so powerful and it it's so meaningful, right? It is. And, um, you know, along, along with it, there's this other element, right, where even previously, pre-COVID, there was a stigma for asking for help, right? There yes. was that, that, you know, associated with a healthcare worker seeking health, help for, you know, mental well-being or just overall well-being, emotional pain. Um, and so what are you seeing happening with this? you know, in the midst of COVID? So I think, um, I think what's happening, I think generally organizations are trying to reduce the stigma, but there's a conflict there. As you guys would say, there's a polarity um, because they're also being told to work more and do more and do more in the same amount of time that they might've done before. So it's one thing to say, yeah, 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 self-care, self-care, it's really important. Make sure you take care of yourself. But are you actually, are they actually um, getting time to do that? 
is it being role modeled? You know, and so I do think healthcare people, healthcare people, sorry, clinicians understand the importance of living a healthy lifestyle. So I think they, I think they get that and they want to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, I think, but are they letting themselves, how high is that bar that they're holding themselves to? Are they trying to say, well, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor and I've seen worse. Why am I getting so hard on myself on this? You know, but it's compounding and and understanding that uh, you feel in kind of being being kind to yourself, you know, and and not you don't have to be all to everyone. And so I think sometimes clinicians get put in that position. The patients look at you like you're their you're their demigod. You know, you know, all you have the solutions. If you just gave me the right concoction, I'll be better. And so fix it. And then when you can't fix it, it feels like a failure. And then, you know, that, so it's, it's that kind of dynamic. And I, I honestly think that self-care, it's, I don't know, I'm not saying there's not a stigma. I think the stigma is there. And I think it's that pressure of, I should be able to do this. I should, it's my job. But it's also, I think, just a matter of, for a lot of people, just they're so focused on other people that they don't take the time to do what they need to do to take care of themselves, you know? And, and the other thing is a lot of these people, a lot of these clinicians are moms, they're dads, they're spouses. They might be taking care of um, an elderly loved one, especially right now because they don't want them to go into a assisted living. Um, so it's just might be, I don't have time or I'm too tired at the end of my shift. I can't even think about doing that. Or I, it's not, I, you know, my coworker, Sue, is having a way harder time. I shouldn't even be bothered by it because I'm not nearly feeling as bad as she is. I hope she gets help, you know, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I think it's more of a minimization and putting yourself last as a clinician. and and. And sometimes when you're in that state too, when you're kind of drained, the, the idea of doing one more thing <laughs> is just too much. And so you're, you're just happy to hit the pillow at night, much less have to do the work to do some self-care too. Yeah, I, I think you're right on with that. It's, uh, and it's their mission, right? So it's a part of who they are, exactly. like I said before. Um, it's where they get their fulfillment and caring for others. And what we've noticed when we've asked leaders too, you know, what, what's one of your challenges? I just want to care for the staff. I just want to take care of, you know, their anxiety. I want to help them be, you know, and it's all about the others, you know, and so exactly. right, they don't, they just naturally don't think of themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and when I, when I have a client who's a, um, a caregiver or a, a, whether it's, medical field, behavioral health, or law enforcement, or a first responder. I call it the curse of the caregiver. They just, they get so fulfilled by helping other people. It's their mission in life, and they want to put all their energy in that, and then it feels selfish 
when they actually do something for themselves. But it's, you know, going back to that cliche of the oxygen mask, you know, and they know this. <laughs> they know it because they'll say it too. They'll say it to the people they're caring for is the oxygen mask. You need to take care of yourself. And then they never do it. And so, um, but it's that because they get fulfilled, they get rewarded and they feel like that is self-care. You know, it feels selfish to do more. And so we just need to model that. So the leaders need to be, when they say, what do we want to do when they're getting coaching, they need to learn to model that self-care and say, and be real. Here's what I do. You know what? I had a really bad day yesterday and I had to go take a walk or I had to go, um, just be alone. I listened to some music or I just started reading this like really trashy novel because I needed something to kind of like get me out of it. Or I had to, you know, punch a punching bag. I don't know. So, or sit in my car for 10 minutes before I walked in the house, you know, just whatever it is, but they need to kind of connect on that vulnerable level and, um, and own it and then, and then make sure they're practicing it for other people to witness as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think recognizing that how often we, we rationalize ourselves like, Oh, that'll never happen to us. You know, or like, so there's something there too. And I think just really being aware of that, that we're human. We are human. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think what, what self-care looks like today in the midst of COVID is different than what it looked like pre COVID. Yes. You know, where five minutes, looking out a window and taking some deep breaths is self-care today, right? Yes. Versus the 20 minute meditation routine I had or, you know, whatever exactly. it was, right? I mean, you may not have that luxuries or those opportunities at this point in time, but it's mm -hmm. about doing anything, right? Small, yes. large or small, right? That's going to exactly. help you, um, you know, lift yourself up, put you in a, a better mental state, right? Support yourself. So. Right. My, um, I have a, a colleague who's doing support groups, virtual for healthcare providers. And some of the things she says is just, you know, have a cup of coffee with your favorite creamer, you know, just do something for yourself, take an extra two minutes in your shower, buy a special soap for your shower, you know, something that smells good or, you know, just a little, have your favorite cup of tea. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of um, compare it to when you're a mom of a, uh, or a parent of a newborn and your self care is like, Oh, I got a five minute nap, you know, that kind of thing. Like that's, it, it's like you have to squeeze it in and you have to be creative. So your leaders can give, but, but what people need right now is they need ideas because they can't think of it right now. So they need to be sharing, this is what I did, or these are some creative things you can do, or hey, you know, if they're in a unit, let's say they're on a floor and they have their like little break room, they're like, we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do a downward dog, I don't know, a yoga stretch right now, everybody do it, at, or they have a little alarm, and when that little alarm goes off, everybody does, you know, a, a deep breathing where they are. You know, I know that we don't want to breathe too deep and too far, but <laughs> we don't want to spread. But wear your mask. <laughs> as long as you're wearing your mask and your shield and your PPE and the yeah. deep breath. Um, exactly. But but just doing that of it's these little bits and it's these little bits. I like mindfulness because it brings you to the present. Anxiety is concern about the future. Depression is rumination about the past. 
we got to get in the present moments and because that's where fear lies is in the future. And so, um, and sadness is in the past. So we want to be in the present moment, take that deep breath, do a stretch, um, do, you know, I don't know, two lunges. I don't know, but something that's just kind of in that moment and, and kind of helps you have that mindfulness um, to take you out of the future and the fear. But, but the leaders helping them of saying, here's a five minute yoga. We're going to do it virtually. I'm going to be on this click here and do it with me or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, like you said, be creative mm -hmm. and take just a few minutes and lead. And that's what we've been. That's been our message to healthcare leaders is you can't serve and help others if you don't fill up your own cup, right? If you don't have a reserve to draw from, you can't keep giving away everything you've got right. to somebody else. And yeah. they're watching you. Yeah, You are the role model. So if you're not doing this for yourself, they see that and they're not going to listen to you <laughs> yes. about, right? Telling them to do it when they can see that you're not doing it and right. that you're not, right, experiencing the benefits of it. So it is, it, you know, the best way to help others is to put yourself first. Yes. Right. And make it, you know, making it concrete. So your leaders, they have to do this three times. They have to do it three times this week. They have to show their team how they did self-care or they have to implement, initiate some sort of self-care because what they'll do, what leaders will do is say, yeah, yeah, I'll do that later. I'll get it later because I have a crisis. There's always a reason for a caregiver and a clinician not to do self-care. Always. There's always a reason to put yourself last. And um, that's great. But it's not going to do anybody any favors, especially your family. So, yeah. yeah. Or, um, your, yeah. or the people that you're trying to help, right? You right. Or right. Them. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. And, um, you know, it was, uh, we, and we just had a conversation with somebody else about this, but I really want to hear your perspective because we were talking about stigma and, you know, some of the challenges around this. And it was really great to see, right, everybody in New York hanging out the window, banging their pots and pans and talking about the heroes of the healthcare system, right? And how all the nurses and respiratory therapists and everybody were heroes and how they've done that every night, right? Like at six or seven o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, I think. And, but We've also heard the stories of how that has had some unintended negative consequences for people and that being raised to a hero status while they appreciate being acknowledged for what they're doing and how it may be heroic, being labeled a hero is negative consequences uh, for people and that now they really feel like they can't ask for help because I'm supposed to be a hero and heroes mm -hmm take it on and fight the hard fight, right, for everybody else. And I just wondered if you've heard anything about that or, if, you know, if you're seeing a trend in that at all. I, I have not. Um, but I could definitely see that. I also, part of me wonders if, if that's a reflection of something else. And what I mean by that is, again, if it's their humility and it's uncomfortable being acknowledged like that, because typically we haven't acknowledged our healthcare workers. They've kind of been just, you know, that hardworking group that's been, the only time you hear about them is if somebody's making a fuss, you know, it's not yeah. like, 
I had this amazing nurse. I mean, sometimes you get that and you should, they should get that. But you just normally hear about like, I love my doctor, but in the hospital settings, like, Oh, all right, all right. you know, it's the, you know, so I just wonder if maybe they're just not used to that. It's a lot. It's overwhelming if you haven't had that. I mean, that's a lot for the entire city to be cheering you on. And, and I wonder if, you know what, I also wonder if because they don't have a treatment protocol per se, then it feels like they're letting people down because they don't know what to do 100% and everybody's not surviving this. And so I just wonder if, if it's too much pressure in that sense of I'm not a hero because I just watched three people die today, you know, and so it's like this inner conflict um, versus kind of taking it, it might be just really hard to take it as, you know, it's kind of like when you've done something, they might, like when you were a kid and you did something wrong, but nobody knew it. And they talked about what a great kid you were like that kind of like dynamic, you know? And so I just kind of wonder if they feel like they're not effective and yet they're getting all this praise and that's really uncomfortable for them. Um, I don't, but I, 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 I'm just completely postulating right now so I appreciate it's that. great you know it's just you're kind of closer to some of the trends and things that you see and I it's just something that's come up a few different times in different mm -hmm. ways and so I just wondered well thanks for yeah. sharing your thoughts about it. no problem yeah lots of opinions yeah. <laughs> and theories um, so there also was a um, a survey of healthcare executives just recently in June of 2020, and they, they asked them what their greatest concerns were uh, with COVID-19. And the number one response coming in at 53% of them was that they are concerned about staffing and burnout. And I think you've already addressed a lot of this about what they can do to implement workplace culture at this time with giving, giving tips. Um, but Tracy and I were just really it's there, right? I mean, in this survey, recent survey, that is top of mind for them is mm -hmm. staffing and burnout. Um, I don't know if there's any additional things you would add to what you've already shared. Well, I do think first and foremost, safety. Do you have the right equipment? Do you yeah. have the cleaning materials? And are they having time to do it? You know, are they running from patient to patient, but they, they're expected? What are the expectations? So you can't talk self-care if your policies and procedures don't promote self-care. So how is that going to come together? How are you going to weave that together? Because you can say, please take lunch, please go to the restroom. Um, but if your but if they didn't get their paperwork on in on time and they get a nasty email, they've learned that they need the paperwork's the priority. You know, and I'm not saying paperwork's not important. There's, there's a way to weave that together. This is an unprecedented time, so maybe your policies and procedures adapt to that. It's also a time of change. People um, and adaptation, not everybody is easily adapted um, to change. And so not, not everybody easily adapts to, to winging it and going through the unknown and so, um, and right now is for those that know how to wing it, they're probably faring better than people that need a lot of structure and, and the procedures and, um, but that also takes a level of confidence and experience to be able to do, do that as well, as well as a personality type. But, 
Um, so I think you've got to kind of make sure and, and the leaders need to advocate for the policies and procedures that back up self-care. That would be to me that one of the most powerful things. Yeah. We've talked about leaders being role models. So because they understand the policies and procedures, if you're good at winging it, show your team how to do the same thing, you know, um, and, and don't expect your team just to pick it up. You can't say it and then they'll, oh, I didn't even think of that. Of course I need self-care and do it. You have to model it. Um, help them be creative. They cannot be creative with self-care. And what we're seeing is the ones that are doing the best in the situations are the ones that are creative. But you can't be creative when you're under stress. And some people just aren't creative. It's just not their makeup. And that's okay. So we need to share that. Um, if they can foster a sense of hope, that's the really big thing too, because when you're stressed, you're, you're stuck in what's currently happening. And I don't mean you're in the present moment, like mindfulness. I mean, you're, you're stuck that this is forever and this is not forever, but it feels like it because you're exhausted and today was the same as yesterday or maybe it was worse. And so the leaders can really instill that sense of hope and a lot of communication because you've got a lot of unsure people, um, the efforts that you're doing, what you want to be able to do within reason, you know, you don't want to overpromise. Um, reminding them that you're in this together. This, we will get on the other side of this. The issue is we don't know when. But we'll get there because we've done this before, unfortunately, you know, not maybe in our lifetime, but we've done it. And so we'll get through this and we'll get through it together, but just kind of giving that sense of hope. And I think that's the big thing. Um, training, resources. Um, the other thing is, and I kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, but if you have benefits, take a, take a look at your benefits. If you're offering, don't just hand out your, you know, I work at a, you know, Aspire, which is an, provides employee assistance services, but don't just hand a brochure and say, call your EAP if you're stressed, because now you're asking them to do one more thing, you know, and so, and is your EAP something you just, if you're in the benefits or you're a leader, is it something you just picked because it checks the box or are you actively working? Look beyond the utilization. People may not be calling. That may not be the best role for the EAP right now for people to call, but can they provide support groups? Can they assist managers in doing consultations for employees that are particularly stressed? Um, are they, how are they managing if employees are working from home? Like, how, you know, what kind of support can, can that EAP service provide? Are they connecting with your other resources? So if, if you know, you're getting coaching, can the EAP be a benefit to kind of keep that fluid care, you know? Because in the coaching, the leaders are going to see certain clinicians that are having a more difficult time. So can you, can you, blend those together? Can you say, well, let's get connected with the EAP. Let's do this. Um, and, and the other benefits that you have. So EAP also has, and I'm not trying to tout EAP, but I, I just know it. So like the work-life benefits, but also be very specific in the resources. Don't say here, call the EAP, see what they can offer. Say, did you know on the website or on our, you know, insurance website, they have this, um, 
this webinar on stress management. They have a webinar on how to talk to your kids about COVID. They have a webinar on um, specifically for people that are struggling with the racial injustice. And they have a bunch of resources for people that might really be, you know, having a very hard time coping or, you know, that kind of thing. So give really specific benefits. Um, we talked about the five-minute yoga sessions, that creativity, um, helping your clinicians be creative. Uh, if The other thing to consider is that when people are stressed or in distress, they tend to think slower and act slower. And it's that is really um, a problem when you're in a high-intensity medical situation, you know? People that tend to be less stressed and happier make decisions quicker and they're more accurate and accuracy is critical in the medical field. And so we want to, you can't necessarily take COVID away, you know, but you're dealing with, with caregivers. You're dealing with clinicians who are mission driven. They are at your workplace because they want to do the work. They want to take care of the patients. And if you can support them and, you know, I, sincere gratitude, you know, give, give a clinician a little bit, they'll give you 200% back. So supporting, supporting that because, and supporting their personal mission, you know, um, and, and wanting to do, because a clinician doesn't want to do horrible patient care. That's not what they want to be known for, you know, and so helping them and understanding that they want to do that, but understanding that if their paperwork is slipping, or their, you know, the admin side is slipping, it might be stress and it might not be usual for them and they might need some more support that way. So, so those are just some things. Um, little baskets are always great. You know, just the little things, you know, just the little snack basket that you stick in the break room or the little, I know this is you guys' favorite tea or here's some teas and coffees or here's some, you know, something that you can do to kind of just really, tell them I really this is a really hard time I appreciate everything that you're doing here and you're you know thank you for all this great work and that could go a really long way if it's sincere yeah yeah those are all really really great recommendations and what I'm hearing you saying in there with that Heather is that this is an opportunity time to really change the current culture around mental health awareness by doing the little things, right, and really kind of baking it in. And um, mm -hmm. we should really be leveraging that right now. Yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you know what, Heather, this has been awesome. I know what I was thinking about is how uh, Tracy and I had an interview earlier today, and one of his points was how important it is as healthcare clinicians to master your skill. And I just think you're a master at what you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And it just comes out just through conversation and all of your experiences. And uh, we just really appreciate you spending time with us again and in this new day and kind of yes. bringing those, those, uh, the new learnings to us. We really appreciate that. Yes. Well, thank you for asking me. And I really, I, that means a lot that you would say that. So um, I'm, I really appreciate that. And I, love what you guys are doing and I think you're making such a huge impact and um, with people kind of you're taking away the barriers and making things possible 
you know, it's, they can, and so they can kind of really dig in and help. And it's, you know, such a noble career to be a clinician and in healthcare. So they are heroes, whether they have the treatment protocol or not. (laughs) So thank you for what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, I just ditto on what Michelle said. I mean, it's, I always learn so much when we talk with you and, and I, I was thinking about, you know, polarities we talk about sometimes when you only see one side of things, you may have an accurate view, but not a complete view, Mm -hmm. right? Not a complete picture. And I feel like every time I talk to you, I get a more complete picture of, you know, the, the whole of what's happening, the whole of what people are experiencing, all of, all of the opportunities and the little ways that, that they can support each other and support the staff. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a great big audacious program, right? It can just right. be simple acts of kindness um, mm-hmm. and sincerity and genuineness that, you know, can go a long way to support people. So thanks for, exactly. you know, just expanding my perspectives today. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad I was able to help. And, um, you know, I did want to share just two things a colleague told me that she was doing to cope. And I thought that was really helpful is she, she wakes up and before she gets out of bed, she thinks of one thing she learned the previous day and it, and is grateful and what she's grateful for. So she does a gratitude and one, and she said, even if it made me cry and upset and (laughs) was horrible, what did I learn? from that. And then she recorded her own affirmations in her own voice. And she'll listen to that while she's doing her makeup or her shower. And um, it's just something easy. And it doesn't take but a minute. And it starts the day with gratitude. And so even if you're hopefully your listeners or your leaders, if they can't think of anything, just start with that. You know, it's a great coping skill during a very difficult time. So Anyway, I just want to leave with that. Oh, great tips. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, those are wonderful. Well, thank you again, Heather. And uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again. I have yes. no doubt. I have no doubt. Well, we want to thank all the listeners out there for listening in today. Thank you. Take care. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. You can find show notes and links at our website, missinglogic.com forward slash new dash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions at the end of the show notes. We'd also love to hear and answer your questions. So if you have some questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com. And we may include your question in a future episode.